Well, as I alluded to in the welcome, these past few months have been pretty challenging, to say the least. Shocking, terrifying, gut-wrenching, painful, emotional. It's been all of it. We've been all over the board. But they have also been days that are full of hope and joy, so many blessings that I still have a hard time counting them all, a sense of total peace in the midst of this bizarre uncertainty, and at the end of the day, an awful lot of love, enormous amounts of love being shown to me and my family. And we've talked about this before here at Snowmass Chapel, this unbelievable capacity that we all have to experience joy and sorrow at the exact same time. It's one of the great paradoxes of life. But one thing that I know for sure is that the love and the support of Snowmass Chapel has sustained me in these past few months. I have had hundreds of notes of encouragement hundreds of notes of encouragement, scripture verses, bad jokes that you've included along the way, which I personally really appreciate. We've had a steady supply of meals. You all have had corporate prayers here in our absence, I know, because Tim and I have heard them every single Sunday when we've tuned in online. Thank you. The bracelets you all had made up that you wear. Oh my gosh, it is astonishing how much you have done to support us. So I chose today's scripture reading that you just heard specifically with you all in mind. And I want you to know here are a few of the words of these uh, verses that just stuck out for me this morning. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news. You have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in living the truth of the gospel. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. These are just a few of the verses that Paul wrote to his church in Philippi. And they bring me to tears when I read them and think about us. But what's really standing out for me in this morning's scripture reading is that Paul is very intentional in this letter about things that matter. He is telling his congregation words of wisdom in his mind about things that truly matter because we can get caught up so much in the challenges of our everyday lives. And Paul wants his congregation to be able to differentiate between the things that matter versus the small stuff. And you've probably all heard of the famous book from the 1990s that Richard Carlson wrote with that same similar title, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and It's All Small Stuff. Well, I think Paul would agree mostly, but I think he also would have his own spin on it. I think his book title would be Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, except for this really important thing that really matters. So we, we know right up front in this scripture reading um, what this letter to the church in Philippi is about. 
Paul helped build this church, by the way. It was the first Christian church on European soil. Can you imagine that? This is his church. This is his baby. These are his people. And he says right up front in chapter 1, I want you to understand what really matters. And then he spends the next four chapters talking about just that, explaining to them what this means. Philippians is only four chapters, by the way. It's a very short read, and it's packed full of goodness and encouragement. And there's a real sense of urgency to Paul's message here because he's sitting in a prison cell. And prison is someplace that Paul seemed to spend a lot of time in his ministry. Um, he knows that at any moment in time, it could be the end for him. It could be the end of his ministry, and it could cost him his life. Prisons are not a place, by the way, back in the day where one just sat and whiled away time. It was usually a place where you were sitting to find out what your death sentence was going to be. And that was usually the end. And so he knew that he needed his church to understand a few things very, very soon. And he wanted them mainly to know where to place their focus. Or as my mom used to say, where not to uh, put your emphasis on the wrong syllable. And so here's what Paul said to them. He said, first of all, joy. I want you to have joy. Now this is a guy sitting in prison, probably eating gruel if he's lucky once a day as a meal, contemplating which method of torture they might employ to really finally teach him a lesson once and for all that he was under Roman, Roman rule, not God's rule. Paul was probably wondering if he would ever enjoy the simple things in life again. And yet joy absolutely permeates the letter to the Philippians. The words joy, rejoice, be glad appear 16 times in this short little letter. Paul was confident with joy, confident to share and show joy because he was so confident in what God would do. He didn't doubt that God would show up one way or another because he was already familiar with God's work, which, by the way, included a total smackdown on the road to Damascus. You might recall that Paul was first, his first real encounter with Jesus. He was thrown to the ground, blinded, unable to see or eat or drink or anything for three days. But then he had the scales removed from his eyes, and he got. He had come face to face with Jesus, with the resurrected Jesus. And he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what was in store for all of us. For all have been made alive in Christ, Paul wrote in another letter to the church in Corinth. And yes, being alive in Christ means at the hour of our death, but it also means that we are made more alive right now in this life. And that includes joy even in our darkest times. Our joy is possible when we can focus on God's activity, not on our own personal circumstances. For me, God's activity has come in the form of a variety of ways to make Thai chicken curry that you all have come up with. It's come in sweet potato stew, it's come in every attempt at plant-based vegetarian casseroles that you could come up with. Thank you. 
It's been in the two gallons of chicken bone broth that one of our friends has dropped by religiously every other week for me. It's come in the flowers that have been delivered every single time that I had chemo. God came in the form of two nurses at MD Anderson who saw my anxious tears and sang old 80s songs to me during the biopsy and then asked for hugs from me before I could leave. It uh, looked an awful lot like a car service driver at the airport who had the thickest Chinese accent you've ever heard and laughed at all of his own jokes, loud and constant, and who also showed up with a wheelchair when he saw me sitting down on the luggage carousel because I was so exhausted and in so much pain. When you can't change your circumstances, change your focus. You see, joy doesn't have anything to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with God at work in the world, with God at work in you. Which brings us to the second point that Paul made. The second thing that he wants his beloved church to know is that they are a community. And community is more than just showing up at church on Sunday morning and grabbing a cup of coffee together afterwards. That's important. But Paul wants them to know that community is more than fellowship time. He uses the Greek word here, koinonia, to define community. Koinonia is a partnership. It's an investment in something. And the Philippians had invested in Paul and in his ministry. All throughout the ministry, everything they did for him, they did together as a community. And so when he was in trouble, as he often was, we know, they would send people to deliver food and resources to him, encouragement to him when he was in prison. It was a partnership. And it might be natural, of course, if they were a little bit worried about what was going to happen to their new church if their leader was suddenly killed because of the very things that they themselves were practicing and teaching. And so Paul says to them, "Mm -mm, I don't want you to worry about that. The work doesn't end with me. You are the ministry. It lives on with you, he said to them. Whether I'm in prison or not makes no difference. God still lives. God still is. He says, my ministry doesn't matter. Koinonia matters. Community matters. Investing in the community of believers, advancing the message of Jesus, the good news, that matters. So the words of Paul beckon us today to continue our partnership in faith. We need each other. We need each other so much on this journey. We need each other not just to fill our bellies when we are too sick to get off the floor and do it ourselves, but also to fortify each other, to, to, to fortify each other in our faith, help us discern when we've lo- <coughs> excuse me, lost our way. <clears throat> we need each other to be a beacon of hope for people who are outside these church walls. And we need each other to remind ourselves again and again and again that there is always light in the darkness. Sometimes we think of our faith journey as being private, 
something that we don't really want to talk about. And I understand that. It's a very personal pursuit. Sometimes we need to just go in a room, close the door, and pray to God who is unseen, as Jesus told his disciples. But then we also have to remember that Jesus was never a me-first kind of guy. Jesus was all about community. He built it from the day he began his ministry. Community matters. The third thing I want to talk about this morning is how we choose to show up. If you've ever taken on a huge project or been uh, asked to do something where the stakes are really, really high, asked to endure something like, I don't know, a cancer diagnosis, you've probably caught yourself thinking, I want to get this right. I want to do this well. This is important. The next step really matters. So you approach it with that kind of requisite amount of fear and trembling, as the Bible says, knowing what's at stake. So Paul's reminding us here in the book of Philippians that life is going to throw a lot at us. We're going to be busy, stressed out, perhaps even terrified sometimes. We're going to endure challenges that we wish we did not have to. We will suffer, some of us more than others. We will grieve, some more than others. And we will have dark times. There will be wars and threats of wars. This is the nature of being human. But in all of it, Paul says, don't lose sight of what matters because we also have the opportunity to show up in ways that bring hope to a hurting world. The message of God's love, the message of death and resurrection is ultimately a message of hope and transformation. And Paul, sitting in that prison cell with an uncertain future, led with that. He speaks from experience. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the people there, he said, if I try to fight wild animals all on my own, what hope is there in that? But because I have God with me, I have every hope. Because I have God with me, I have every hope. The message of the gospel should change us. It should give us an unexpected hope, an unexplained peace, unexpected grace. So when faced with trials, how do we want to show up? How do we interpret the world around us as followers of Jesus? What difference does it make in our lives? Do we live fearfully or do we live prayerfully? Do we judge harshly the differences we see between us and others? Or do we hold others a little more gently because we know they too our children of God. Our response to these questions and others that may come up for you has everything to do with what Paul means when he encourages the Philippians to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let your life speak volumes about how the gospel matters to you. There's a wonderful story about St. Francis of Assisi, which you may have heard. Um, St. Francis lived hundreds of years ago. He once invited a young apprentice priest to come with him into the village nearby. 
and said, we're going to go and uh, preach to the people. And so upon arriving to the village, St. Francis and the apprentice stopped in to visit with the butcher. Then his next stop was to visit with the cobbler. And then his next stop was to visit the home of a woman whose husband had recently died. Following that visit, he went to the school to talk to a teacher. And after a few more stops, St. Francis told his apprentice it was time to pack up and return to the abbey. And his student was confused, and he looked at him and he said, wait, but you said we were coming here to preach, but we haven't preached yet. And St. Francis looked at him and said, oh, haven't we? Every single thing we've done, every word we've spoken, every deed we've done today has been a sermon. We've preached all morning. Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary, is a quote attributed to St. Francis. What really matters? What really matters? Being joyful, being in partnership in a community of believers, and living lives worthy of the gospel, Paul says. But all of this can be summed up by an encounter that Jesus had. Jesus had an encounter with a man we read about in the Gospel of Matthew who asked him a question about all the laws that are required of the religious Jewish faith at the time. And the man asked Jesus, of all the commandments, of everything we read in the Bible, which one is the most important? Because isn't that just like us? We just want to get it right. Just what's the one thing I can do and get this right, Jesus? I don't want to mess anything up. And Jesus says, that's easy. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love is what matters most. It's all small stuff, except this one really important thing. And the whole gospel message hangs on it. It's the one thing to center our lives on. From that will come joy and community and living out lives worthy of the gospel, worthy of that good news. So I want to close again just by saying thank you, Snowmass Chapel. Thank you for your beautiful witness of the gospel, for leading lives worthy of the message of hope and justice and forgiveness and mercy, salvation, all of that which comes from knowing God deep within. Thank you for helping each other find deep joy despite hard times. And most of all, thank you for loving so, so well. Amen and amen.